Welcome to Season 4 of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. This podcast is all about preventing burnout in the workplace by changing the systems that impact how mums show up at work. And sometimes those systems are part of our social infrastructure outside of work. In the first three seasons of the podcast, I interviewed researchers, DEI and HR experts, coaches and mental health experts. We talked a lot about individual change because that is what we think is within our control. But if we stop there, the collective change that we need will not happen. Only 13% of male senior managers spend time in caregiving compared to 52% of female senior managers. This season, I am therefore interviewing dads. Unless dads are more active participants in the home and more supportive leaders at work, working mums will continue to struggle, burn out, and miss out on leadership opportunities. Men have to make room for women to lead at work, and women have to make room for men to lead in the home. We can't make change alone, so I want to learn more about how we can support men to become active participants in the home and role models for caregiving leaders at work. And when mums thrive, the world benefits. This week, I'm learning from Nahal Mehta, who is a dad to two boys and husband to changemaker Reshma Saujalni. He talks about giving each other time to focus and making time for exercise, especially with others. Using a stress monitoring app helps him keep burnout at bay. In particular, he advocates for dads creating friend groups so that they can feel appreciated more in their role and supported by other dads. I hope you can learn as much from this conversation as I did. My name is Nahal Mehta. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jacqueline, for having me. I have three kids. The first kid is a dog, and she's 12 years old. And she was our first kid and our only daughter. And I have two other sons. Sean is seven and size two. And he is in his terrible twos right now, for sure. We all live in New York City. And I am co-founder at a venture firm called ENIAC that I started with my partners 12 years ago after starting five startups. So I've been in tech for quite a long time, two and a half decades, and that's my current role. Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here today. And I appreciate what you said about your dog. Our dog was also our first child and love. And unfortunately, he's passed now, but we still have a, another dog that adds to the mix for sure. One of the reasons that I had contacted you and reached out to you was because you are the husband of Reshma Sanjani. And I had her on my podcast and she is the leader of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Mums. And she is doing so much work for mums and very much at the systems level, which is what I appreciate coming from my public health background. So tell me a little bit about the role you play at work and home at the moment and how did you get there? And then we'll talk a little bit more about how you support Reshma in particular, because she's definitely going through a lot of different challenges. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, we just had a conversation this morning about this. I feel like there's a lot of roles, I think, that one plays, especially as a parent, because you want to be a great husband, you want to be a great father, and you obviously want to crush at work. And those are just kind of three of the most maybe intimate roles that everybody plays every day, but then you're also a son, you're also a brother, you're also a best friend. You play a lot of roles. And so I think it's interesting. Anyway, I would say my number one job is that of a dad. My most important role, because it all started there before the kids is that of a husband. And so anyway, those are the roles that I currently play. But I would say my number one job is still that of a father of young kids. And so how do you manage that role in your household? How do you show up as a dad in the way you want to? And in a way that works, given that both of you are in very demanding jobs? Yeah, I think I made this metaphor earlier. It's almost like every parent has this vision of being this like Olympic gymnast almost where you can like literally do 50 like somersaults and a few cartwheels and stick the landing, right? And everybody has this plan. And by the way, that plan often doesn't work out. The plans often go awry. And I think you just have to do the best that you can. And there's no kind of perfection in making everything come together. A very tangible example like this Monday is Rosh Hashanah here in New York and well, around the world, but in New York, public schools had off Monday and Tuesday. And so kids are home and we didn't have childcare on Monday. And both Reshma and I had a full slate of work that, that day. I think I had 10 meetings on Monday and she was with Moms of Liberty and the book banning, like she was in a huge fight and she was on with reporters and so many people on her team and it was intense. And so anyway, we were like trying to do our best while managing and also give happiness and joy to our kids. Um, and so that was challenging. And I think the takeaway from that is you just got to do the best that you can. And you're never going to be the perfect husband and the perfect dad and the perfect co-founder at your startup or your firm, but you can do the very best that you can. And I think people will understand along the way that you're really trying to do your best. And I think that's all that matters. Most of the time you do stick the landing, actually, you know, um, practice makes perfect. And I think most of the time when you are juggling all these things, it does work out. By the way, I love the quote, if you want something done, give it to a mom. Because I think in particular, I see this with my wife and a lot of other friends that are moms. I see this in my mom, the ability to multitask, literally just not being distracted with kids directly in the mix and still being laser focused on the task at hand is, is a very unique superpower. And I think that's not native to dads, because I know I have a hard time doing that. But I feel like it is like a superpower that moms have, or they very quickly are conditioned to grow. 
and maybe conditioned from childhood to be able to do that too, exactly. And actually, I really appreciate the Olympic analogy you gave because there was a time when I was watching the Olympics and just before the line, these two kayakers paddling so hard and the boat capsized. And that to me was a total analogy for my husband and I. We were both paddling so hard not actually probably in the same direction. And it was like, I was at the back of the boat trying to go, stop, slow down. And of course you're powering so hard in one direction and you just don't realize that it's not working anymore. And it was like, I had fallen out the boat. I was the one that had capsized it. I found that such a helpful analogy for me too. So I appreciate yours of the gymnastics. I like that one. And let's talk a little bit more, as you mentioned it there, just this weekend, one of uh, Reshma's books was banned. And so she is in this situation of really trying to deal with monumental challenges to the status quo, and that's really what she does. So it's a really important role she plays, but obviously an extremely stressful role she plays, especially when it's like getting a book banned, it feels out of your control to a certain extent and not being able to persuade Congress to pass maternity leave feels out of your control, even though I think with every turn, Reshma is motivated to keep trying harder. But how do you as a husband help in that sort of situation where it is very stressful. Yeah, I tell folks the best way that I can support is get the hell out of the way and basically just let her do her thing. And so like in that moment, that meant like very specifically, let's get the kids out of the house, let's go to the park. And I'm going to try to do my Zooms from here. And actually, I tried to do that. And unfortunately, there was really shitty Wi-Fi in the park at that time. And so I couldn't really do that. I couldn't really pull that off. But anyway, that's when I didn't stick the landing, but I thought I could. But the primary um, goal, which was like giving her the space, right, to operate was more or less accomplished for that time period. And so anyway, I think a lot of it is just that, right? It's just like providing that support so that person can basically just be in the zone. That person can have the utmost concentration and focus and bandwidth so that they can apply all their energy to whatever they're doing at that moment. And by the way, it's definitely not a one-way street. There's many situations in which I need to be in the zone and Rushman grabs the kids and lets me concentrate so I can apply my maximum energy to that particular problem. But I think that's a tried and true solution. If she's in the zone, like it's very clear and my job is to get the hell out of the way and take the kids with me. There's nothing really that I can do in that situation. I think we're a team and, but I'm not on her staff, nor am I like intimately involved in the details, nor am I you know, as skilled and as good as folks that she's working with in that particular craft, right? That's the best thing I can do, basically, is get out of the way. That's really great. And as you say, it's a two-way street. I think I can reflect a little bit on some of the situation when I was experiencing burnout. It would be the situation where my husband and I would both be having problems at the same time. And even if maybe I was out of town on a work trip, he would then be having something at work that was important and urgent that I had to come early to allow him to deal with it and take the kids back. So it always felt like we were competing for who had the biggest problem when. 
And then I think then we change from that to realize, yes, sometimes our problems coincide. And I think going back to what you said and what we say is on those days, all we can do for each other is let the other person vent or cry or whatever it is you need to do, listen, and then go, okay, we have to just move on. We can't necessarily help each other on that day because we're both struggling. But yeah, we just have this different acceptance of um, it's going to be a shitty day and that it's not this competition anymore. And I don't know really how we got to that point. I think it was partly through sometimes me saying there never seems a convenient time for me to express what I'm feeling or my problems and it was then that I would just do it anyway even if I knew okay he'd had a terrible day so have I and so I stopped like just trying to suppress my feelings because it was never convenient to talk about them so I think that helped but it's definitely challenging for couples when both people are working and stresses arise so talking a little bit more about burnout is that something that you've ever experienced in your life and if not what do you do to manage it to keep it away because obviously you're also working in a very stressful environment yeah I think there's two things that help me and one of which I could definitely use more of and so that is sleep and because we have a terrible two-year-old right now that is sometimes challenging and the other is exercise and so i think that i'm doing a better job of running or signed up to run my third new york marathon in about a month and a half and so we have a little run club in new york called pitch and run and every basically monday and friday sometime wednesdays at 9 a.m the big group of us sometimes as many as 30 or 40 folks on the Hudson River at on 23rd Street behind Chelsea Piers and we'll run five miles. And it's a very easy exercise for parents because it's after school drop-off. So I drop off our elder son, Sean, usually around kind of 8.30, 8.15. And then I'll make my way over. And most of the dads and moms that are running with us will have similar schedules. And so that 9 a.m. kind of works. And it's just an hour, but it's an incredible kind of release, you know, exercise releases all types of things, obviously not just endorphins, but stress. Also having that social environment with other parents that also might be going through rough patches or anything they might want to talk about on this run is really refreshing and inspiring. So that's the exercise bit. And I think that really helps with burnout. And then a sleep bit, it's obviously been very well documented by so many people, but I think you need to get seven, eight hours of sleep a night and ideally uninterrupted, deep, good sleep. And we are making progress. I think we probably get five or six hours in a stretch before the two-year-old does something to get us to make him a bottle or pat him a little bit or get him in the bed, whatever it is. And I think it's a phase. Eventually he will sleep through the night, but I think this is just like a little bit of a rough patch now. One of the things that Reshma and I have is we have this thing called WHOOP, W-H-O-P, that we wear on our wrists. And it basically measures recovery and strain. And part of it is psychosomatic. So if you get a good sleep, and that also means like cutting off like your food and liquid other than water intake before a certain time so that your heart rate and your heart rate variability actually overnight, your resting heart rate is low, but your HRV is high, can potentially put you in a green state in the morning. And so you're looking at this app and you can be green, yellow, or red. 
And so when, anyway, when you get a green, even if it's wrong, because it's not hundred percent accurate, it's psychosomatic and you're like, oh, like I'm well rested. That's great. And obviously if you get a red, you're like, oh man, like it's going to be a shitty day. And so I think there's some psychological aspect there, but I think this also helps us monitor burnout because if you're really burning that candle at both ends, this thing's going to pick up on it and you're going to be in the red for a while. And I think if you're in the red for four or five days straight, like you got to change something. And so I think that's a nice, like a beacon, like a signal where we can get a sense of where our body and mind is, because it definitely does pick up on stress and anxiety as well. But again, it goes back to those two core components, which are sleep and exercise. And I think that's such an important point too, because that tired but wired is definitely a feeling that people have in burnout. And I particularly, I come from a behavior change background. So I did some of the early research on those types of devices to see whether they were accurate and really around the whole prompting, because essentially when you can see those colors, you're right, they have a psychological effect, but they also help you detect patterns and know when to make a change. So I really appreciate that that definitely is a great way to see things coming. Let's talk a little bit more about what you're seeing in the world of leadership and organizations that you see is supporting dads to be able to, like you say, go for a run at 9am and get the benefits of being with other parents that fits around your arriving at school schedule. That maybe works partly because of the type of work you're doing, but also do you see other companies making these type of um, flexible work life possible? And what are other things that can be done to really support dads from the industry and the perspective that you work in? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a New York Times article about a month ago that talked about adult male friendships being in a recession. And essentially, they plotted on a graph a significant cliff over the past years and decades, and also exacerbated by the pandemic, that adult males were less likely to have good friends. And so that leads to a whole host of issues, not the least of which is loneliness, depression, suicide, etc. And I think the reason I'm bringing this up is I feel like dads in particular don't necessarily have those sort of support groups um, that moms may more proactively seek out. There's 101 mommy blogs. That's how like we find our sitters and nannies. There's one daddy blog. I think I'm subscribed to it fatherly, right? But one of the things we've been pretty active about is creating WhatsApp groups. We actually have a WhatsApp group called Father Good instead of Fatherhood. And there's a bunch of dads now, I think close to 100, and just dads sharing some wins, some stories. My elder son wrote this incredible letter to the tooth fairy like two weeks ago. And so I shared that and just getting the reactions from other dads, right? Even that like little thumbs up or that heart, you know, on uh, WhatsApp reactions is very encouraging because you feel like, you know, your work is appreciated as a dad. And I think it's hard. I think, by the way, moms feel underappreciated all the time. But I think that's all sometimes people need and want, right? Just from monitoring kind of posts on this group and in these chats, which is just like an acknowledgement of you're doing a good job. And like one person can't do that to themselves. Obviously it takes a group of folks. And anyway, I think that is probably something that's lacking in the world today that there needs to be more of. 
is dads coming together, hanging out, chatting. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like new friends. I think a lot of folks get to a certain age and they're like, I don't need new friends. I have enough friends. So turning your dad friends into like more of a community and just creating a forum. And so I think for anybody listening right now, I think this is really easy action, which is spin up a WhatsApp group right now with your close friends that are dads. And I think it can be game changing, right? And just start sharing these little things, a little video, a picture, a story. And I think you'll be surprised how much better you feel to talk about these things and to appreciate other dads for things that they're doing and to be appreciated as well. But I think it's very easy and very simple that not enough people do. So sorry, that was a long-winded answer to where do you go to talk to other dads, but I think there's not enough resources that exist. That's great. And I'm interviewing folks from around the world that are starting to provide those resources because it's definitely seen as a need. And I think my husband also gets that through a camping group that goes through the YMCA. And again, that's supportive, but it's not necessarily that they're having those conversations you're talking about. And it makes me think like this morning, the conversation my husband and I had was about him having the talk with my son about sex education and all these other things. And again, I'm willing to do it. I'm going to support him to do it. But I also see that he has a really important role in doing this. Like he'll do it differently than I will. And that's so important to add to our son's repertoire. But again, I could see that if he had other dads that he could actually talk to and say, here's how I handled it, that would be a lot more helpful. So again, what else do you think in particularly in the workplace for mums that could be helpful and for both mums and dads? Because as you mentioned, dads need appreciation and of course, mums feel undervalued, but often dads are not respected in the role they're playing. They're quite often mocked if they want to take paternity leave, for example. So what else do you see in the workplace that could be done to support dads in their roles more? Yeah. One of the things that I've advocated for here at ENIAC at our firm is that myself and my three partners are all dads and that we take our time on paternity. It's not just for us and our families, but it's setting an example for not only our firm, but like the industry. And that's one thing that everybody can do is take your paid leave. A lot of dads don't do it. A lot of dads have it and don't do it. A lot of dads have, especially if you work in tech, for example, it's a very competitive perk. Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple all offer a significant amount of time for maternity and paternity. And most of the time, the paternity leave is not, definitely not 100% taken, but not even probably 50% of the time allotted. And so I think that's one thing that dad should be doing is taking more time. And again, it's not just for them. It's about setting an example for everybody else. And obviously the bigger issue in the United States is it's one of the only industrialized countries left that doesn't offer paid leave and doesn't pay for childcare, doesn't have any sort of childcare subsidy. And that's what Reshma is fighting right now with Marshall Plan for Moms to accomplish is that if the government can't do it, we'll get it done in the private sector and make that a competitive perk for, for corporations in their hiring process. And so I think that is happening in the private sector and she's going to accomplish that. When you have paid leave, you should also use it. It's fighting for making that a standard. And then also when you have it, you should use it. I had a conversation with one of my partners recently who just had a baby 
And I said, this is time you'll never get back. And until you actually realize that, just like the formation of basically of your new family, whether it's your first kid, your second kid, or your third kid, and all of that energy that you need to reserve for that, this whole new phase of not just your life, but your wife's life, your spouse's life, your existing children's life, all the things that you actually really need to work on that you've probably been remiss at doing, like building that other bed or like actually looking for a bigger house or whatever that stuff is, is a full-time job that you should spend this time that's allotted for you. You should spend that time doing this stuff. And so he was like, dude, you're right. This is the time I'll never get back. And I'll see you next month later. I was like, awesome. You know, that's great. So yeah, it's two things. It's one is like making this a standard in this country. And then two, like taking advantage of it if, when you have it, taking full advantage of it when you have it. And then from a cultural perspective, making it not a stigma, making it a point of pride. And I think there's been a lot of people vocal on this issue, like Alexis O'Hanahan, right? Who is married to Serena Williams. And I think there needs to be a lot more dads. I've been vocal on this issue that are very proud of taking leave. There's still some weird cultural headwind on, oh, you're not like man enough if you like don't come right back to work or whatever. Like maybe somehow left over from the hustle culture or whatever it is. And it's not cool. Like, it's just not cool. It's not cool to like hustle culture creates burnout, creates a lot less productivity and a lot less success in the long term. And this is time you will never get back. And worst case scenario, you like go reconnect with some of your old hobbies and set up your old turntables from college and get back into where it is. Like you'll never get this time back. I don't care if you're the CEO of Google, you should be able to take that time off for yourself and come back without any negative cultural stigma on what you did. So anyway, I think some more things to accomplish there. And I think it's just going to take a lot more vocal dads who take paid leave and are proud of it. But I think we have more tailwinds than headwinds. I think there is a change that's happening. And one of the things I feel like the way you describe it there, it really made me think about this is like a startup. It's like an enterprise. The way you said this is like your new family, even if it's a changing family dynamic. And as a leader, you wouldn't leave a startup <laughs> without being there to make sure that it started okay. So again, I think maybe if we can think about that language, because I know we've struggled with the language in terms of dads not seeing themselves as caregivers. But if they see themselves as leaders of their own family startups, maybe that will partly appeal to get them to engage and be part of that. Because as you say, it's time that you don't get back and it's time that's so well invested. It changes the trajectory. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And listen, in your career, you're probably not going to stay at the same company like your whole career. You're probably going to have a few different purchases. And even if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to create hopefully many businesses over the course of your career. But the one thing that hopefully stays the same is your family. Like even through separations, your kids are your kids. And so that is like a lot more consistent, persistent than your professional stint. And so that's why that's almost like your it should be your first startup right that you're focused on and by the way at this startup the mom around here is the ceo around here i'm i'm, I'm the ceo also the chief clown officer to make the kids laugh but 
Perfect. That's my next question. That's my next question. Let's lead into that question because I, I love this one. Conversations I've had dads around this one is what is your favorite dad joke? Because you're right. A big part of a dad role is to be the clown. <laughs> what is your favorite dad joke? I'm a walking dad joke, to be honest. Like I was the king of dad jokes before I was a dad. And now finally, there's somebody that will laugh at them, my kids. And so actually, this morning, I had a dad joke that like literally put my seven year old like on the floor, like unconscious. And it was not even that funny. I'll give it to you. And I think how did I ask? I asked him, oh, yeah, I said, Sean, I just don't trust those stairs, the stairs in our home. I go upstairs. I just don't trust those stairs. He says, how come dad? I said, Sean, I just think they're always up to something. That's a good one. Oh my goodness. I'm not surprised he was on the floor. And he like lost it. He like, like mucus came out of his mouth. Like he was like on the ground. So maybe it was in the delivery on that one. But I, but yeah, I'm a walking dad joke all day long. My colleagues here at work probably think I'm highly annoying because of that. But anyway. That's some of the joy that we can have with our kids as well they're such great audiences for these and to be honest my kids now also have the challenge of wanting to find dad jokes and get like better dad jokes than dad and when I say better I mean it's better because they're worse (laughs) but (laughs) it's definitely a running theme in our household I so appreciate your time today and to get your perspective is there anything that you want to leave the audience with again particularly coming from the role you have as an influencer in your industry. Yeah, I think just talking about it more made me realize that the necessity of creating these small little communities, these support groups that everybody has friends from their, even their core group of friends that are now parents that are dads and moms. And I think just even creating a small little three or four person WhatsApp group with your dad friends, I think can be game changing. And by the way, even like setting up a dinner, like once a month, going to a game once a quarter, you will actually become a much better dad by virtue of having that, because I think you will feel more appreciated. It'll get you this feedback loop to do a better job and to feel more self-worth for what you're doing. Cause I think at the end of the day, being a parent can be like a little bit of a lonely job, right? Cause nobody's patting you on the back. When you change a really nasty diaper, there's the depreciation that it's gone and then <laughs> you've changed it and it stopped stinking up the house. But just having those conversations and telling those stories and having people appreciate them and you appreciate theirs. I think you go a long way. So I think that's maybe a final kind of word. I think I feel really strongly about that. I was just posting in my father good group now about another story. Yeah, keep it up, you guys. And thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com for your free guides to prevent burnout. Would you like to join a cohort of women like yourself who want to disrupt the status quo but are facing constant barriers and like you are beginning to wonder whether your approach will even gain traction? Have you experienced the supportive environment of executive group coaching, knowing you're not alone and learning from others' mistakes and strategies, but you want to have more concrete goals and measures of progress? In conjunction with my leadership training, 
I'm facilitating small groups of women executives in peer learning collaboratives. This is a scientific process that it's used in medicine when important new recommendations need to be put into practice and there's likely to be pushback. Peer learning collaboratives leverage the supportive environment of group coaching, but with more targeted goals, greater accountability, and a quality improvement process that measures impact through learning cycles. In my training, you'll learn five new evidence-based strategies to support your leadership confidence and credibility, including how to use macro and micro root cause problem solving, how to create culture change through daily behavior change, and how to manage change and burnout. The peer learning collaboratives will provide a safe environment for you to put your new skills and strategies into action while learning from other women leading similar change efforts in their organizations. As you face barriers, we will problem solve together, empowering you to use adaptive experimental processes to help you build more resilient and informed solutions. A peer learning collaborative has three phases. In the co-design phase, members are brought together from diverse areas to establish buy-in and shared ownership. Building trust is important in this phase through shared values and expectations, shared vision and goals, open communication channels, and conflict resolution processes. In the collaborative learning phase, the group process is further solidified through peer empowerment, accountability partners, and celebrating small wins. The experimental process then starts with needs assessments, behavior targets, logic modeling, and plan, do, study, act cycles. In the adaptation and scale phase, lessons from the learning phase are translated into best practice guidelines and operational toolkits. Case studies are shared and champions are empowered to promote the findings and benefits to other units. How often do you find that you're trying to prevent the fires that men love to put out? You're spoiling their quick fixes and save the day hero-based approaches. Instead, you can see the forest and the trees. You want to disrupt the status quo with more collaborative, adaptable, long-term approaches that change how and why we work, bringing in flexibility and greater purpose. Yet your ideas are dismissed and the systems remain stuck, perpetuating bias and burnout. My training will give you the confidence and credibility to lead through change, manage change, and leverage change for transformational change. It will show you that your intuitive gendered intelligence is supported by tried and tested scientific frameworks, and it will provide you with more processes and tools to leverage that knowledge for greater impact and social good, based in public health science, behavior change science, and implementation science. Never before have we been through a global pandemic, racial reckoning, mental health epidemic, or great resignation. With a recession looming, post-pandemic stress levels are likely to remain high and resources low. Reports from Deloitte, Microsoft, Adeco, and Modern Health show that employees are dissatisfied with the current fix-the-person solutions and want to see transformational change in the organization itself. The need to lead with impact and provide return on investment is greater than ever, 
in more uncertain, challenging, and complex times than ever. During these times of monumental change, there have been few guiding frameworks for leaders. There are not yet evidence-based solutions to these new emerging and urgent problems. So it's even more essential to use evidence-based processes to manage change. My behavior science tools will enable you to embrace complexity, lead through change, and manage the overwhelm. I want to help women leaders with a new playbook for compassionate and competent leadership in times of change and complexity, with evidence-based frameworks and strategies for moving beyond the status quo and leading the workforce of the future. When you join a peer learning collaborative, you'll gain confidence, camaraderie, and compassion for the challenges you face. We will use scientific tools and processes to guide our progress, use behavior change strategies to keep us on track, and key indicators of change to evaluate our impact. Over a 12-week period, you'll set goals for the changes you want to see in your organization. You'll operationalize them as behaviors. You'll prepare your organization for change by creating a safe learning and growth culture. You'll roll out and measure what is working and why, and develop ways to overcome barriers to change. You'll share your progress and challenges with the other executive women in your cohort so they can benefit from your experience so they can provide support and ideas for solutions, and so that together you can exponentially grow your learning, leveraging each other's adaptations and innovations to similar problems. The training and cohorts will be available in 2023. In the meantime, I've created a free masterclass to introduce you to the five key strategies, because change can be scary and you still might be uncertain about what it takes. My five evidence-based leadership strategies are leading through complexity with compassion, understanding root causes and solving macro and micro problems using the social ecological model and lessons from public health, leading with impact, identifying and operationalizing key change levers using behavior change science and strategies to create sustainable habits that change systems, leading with insight, creating the conditions for a culture of change using psychological safety, emotional intelligence, rewarding daily behaviors, and empowering role models. Leading with curiosity, finding and testing new solutions for employee wellness, retention, and belonging using peer learning collaboratives as a supportive and science-based process for managing change and developing resilience. Leading with clarity, Understanding and managing multifaceted burnout so you and those you lead can thrive through change using multi-level burnout solutions. If you're ready to start on a new leadership journey, I look forward to guiding you through this in my online course and supporting you in a peer learning collaborative. Please direct message me to get access to the free masterclass or sign up for the 2023 start. And please remember, Burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care.
Feel the power 